Welcome to this episode of the podcast, where today we have the honor of hosting Mr. Richard Myers, president of AlternaWork and CEO of GBlock, it's Global Business Leaders of Color. With over 20 years of experience in the industry, Richard brings a wealth of knowledge and insights about commercial real estate and entrepreneurship to the table. In this conversation, we explore Richard's impressive career journey, and we delve into his experience from being an entrepreneur at an early age, to transitioning to commercial real estate, and then back to entrepreneurship, and then back to commercial real estate. And he weaves them together to create a quite, uh, quite a unique and remarkable career. And it seems like he's just getting started. So this episode I found is an inspiring exploration of entrepreneurship, networking, and the pursuit of excellence, and importantly, execution, which we discuss in depth. So join us as we gain valuable insights from visionary leader, Mr. Richard Myers. And welcome to the show, Mr. Richard Myers. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I wanted to start by, and hopefully you can, because G-Block is something that I've I've been following and in, in the development and what you've been doing. Can you give our listeners uh, a glimpse into what you're doing? Well, um, good question. G-Block is kind of my uh, uh, side hustle, for lack of a better term. Um, do you want me to start with Alterna work and then how we got into G Block, or do you want to just start with G Block? How, how would you like to do it? However, you want to tell your tale. I, I've seen what you what you do, and I've seen the various stages. And so, if you would tell our listeners what you're doing, what you're working on, and how you got here, because okay. it's the journey that that I think we're most interested in. All right. Well, why don't we start with how did how did we get here? So, uh, as I mentioned to you before, it's not the typical journey of a commercial real estate. Uh, executive. Um, my original background started in uh, in retail. So back in early 80s, uh, my brother and I were the first all sunglass store in Canada. So at a very, very young age, I got in a, into the retail business and we ended up building that up to five stores. And we were very, very successful in the 80s. And it turned into a family business. And as it got to a certain point, I was very young. I went to my my brother and my father and I said, "Hey guys, I've got some, you know, friends that I've gone to to, you know, school with and they're moving on and they're saying, "Listen, you guys are doing so well in the sunglass business. What you should really consider franchising." And so I went to my brother and my dad. I was the young one, so I just went to them with the idea and I said, "Hey, why don't we consider franchising?" And uh both my brother and my and my father said, "Hey, look, you know what? Let's keep it a small family business. And this was um, in the late 80s, uh, just, just you know, in the roaring uh, eco- economic times. And uh, I said, listen, I'm, I'm not interested in that. I'm, I'm going to leave. And uh, so I went and I got my real estate license. And then soon after, there was a crash in real estate and Sunglass Hut came to, uh, came to Canada and my uh, brother and father's business went out. I was fortunate to get my real estate license at that time. However, that market crashed as well. So now here I am. I don't have my <laughs> retail business. I don't have my uh, uh, my real estate business has kind of gone flat. And then it was kind of like, all right, you've got to kind of learn 
how to, you know, reimagine your career. Um, you no longer have the support of that family safety net, had to go out and figure out real estate. And as we know, if you've been in that business, I know you have, it's, it's a very, uh, you know, individual, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of business. And so I had to learn it. And it was like, all right, well, I like the commercial space. And uh, I went to CBRE and they didn't, I didn't fit their profile of, of who they would hire. They would typically hire a university grad um, mm. out of their network. So I'm not going to say specifically color or whatever, but if, you know, out of their network of pool of, of university grads, I didn't fit that profile, but I did make an impression on uh, the manager at CBRE. And he's like, listen, you know what? I don't know how we're going to, we just have to get you in here. And they brought me in and they brought me into the retail group. And so that was actually uh, was good for me because instead of giving me sort of one discipline, it allowed me to learn multiple because the retailer, I didn't do retail transactions, but I handled retailers. So it, it involved logistics. It involved, you know, their warehousing. And then of course it in, involved the actual outlets. And so I, I had a, wide range of of uh experience um which was very helpful learning so what, kind of thrown in the deep end yeah what what was your well I have, I have so many questions about a couple of those things uh and first i'll just i'll just tell them so maybe you can walk through that number one how did you get into the sunglass business <laughs> um so that's why like like what was your introduction yeah. to that and then i'm going to take a leap and almost assume that and and correct me if i'm wrong is that going into commercial real estate was working with in that, with that store. And then you had access to commercial real yes. estate in that way. Well, it was, yeah. And so part of the, well, to get into the retail, uh, sorry, in the, into the uh, sunglass business, it was very, very fortuitous. The carts, you know, those carts that you often see out there now where vendors are on these carts. Well, they didn't exist in 1982 when hmm. we started Olympia in York uh, owned a, a really cool kind of waterfront, uh, development and my brother and I started for a summer job selling sunglasses. It was just really just hey, what is it, what can we do? And it was sunglasses. The margins were enormous. The sunglass business back then, we brought Ray Ban to Canada, we brought Oakley to Canada, we brought Varney. All of these brands weren't really here. It was just the beginning of it, and so we realized, hey, look, you know what? This business, it's kind of a sleepy business. It's like you know, you'll go to an optical store. And you would get a few, you know, small selection. There wasn't anybody who was having that had a complete only sunglass operation. So we're operating off of this cart and it just took off. Anyways, Olympia New York offered us a store and then we ended up moving on and getting multiple stores. But that experience of negotiating leases on new stores and that got me into that commercial space. We dealt with some of the bigger ones at the time, which was Cadillac Fairview you know, as I mentioned at Olympia in York. And so that, you know, ability to negotiate leases was kind of a natural for me now when I did consider real estate to, uh, uh, to consider doing, you know, commercial real estate at CBRE. Had you, had you known anybody else uh, besides your, you working with the uh, sunglass stores, anybody in your family or anybody that you knew in real estate or commercial real estate at all? No, no. Wow. No, it was just, you know what? It honestly doesn't. It is. It is such a, a, a profession 
for, uh, and I'm going to say people of color, I don't want to just dive into that right away, but because it essentially is your own business unit, you don't really have to rely on anybody. So I wanted to do corporate real estate, but how am I going to go do corporate real estate if I don't have a network? I don't have, you know, there, there isn't anybody that I can go and, and try to, but in real estate, if you have good real estate or you have a good client, well, then it opens up doors for you. So it doesn't matter who you know. And then once you get some traction, which is what happened with me, I got some really, really good retailers uh, up front. And again, that's fortuitous by, you know, being at CB, getting connected with some, uh, you know, some people early on that were able to mentor me, but getting, for example, gateway computers, I don't even know if they're still around today, but, you know, gateway computers, when they came to Canada, that was one of my uh, clients that opened them up around, you know, the surrounding area around Toronto. So it was really just the opportunity. I could never have done any of that if, say, if I was in investment banking, because you're just very, you know, in a very structured environment. But real estate, you're your own business unit, and it's, you know, it's as big or as small as you want it. So growing growing up, what did you imagine? And I'm thinking, you know, when you were, um, you know, middle school, grade, you know, high school. What what did you imagine you would Always do? Always yeah. entrepreneur. My, I come from a very entrepreneurial family. You know, my background is uh, from the Caribbean, Jamaica. You know, my parents came up uh, in the 60s. And so when they came here, their life in Jamaica was actually better than coming to Canada. But they, they for whatever reason, saw the writing on the wall that the middle class, that middle class in, in the Caribbean, and it happened not just in Jamaica, but around the world that that was going to, something was going to happen. And then it was going to be an environment of either very, very wealthy or very poor. And that was always leads to, you know, tragic events. And so they left in mm -hmm. the mid sixties and they came to Canada. They had, my brother was a, just a year old at the time. So I, you know, when you think about that, you know, picking up life's good, you're in a warm climate. I'm going to take my one year old, you know, my parents were in their early twenties go to Canada. They don't know anything, you know, it's freezing cold and, and then set up a life. And so you look at that courage. It's amazing. Um, but what that also instilled in my brother and I was this entrepreneurial attitude. My dad and mom, both my mom and dad were both very much about, Hey, listen, let's do something, you know, let's, you know, let's not have to rely on anybody. And that was instilled in my brother and I at a very, very early age. So I imagine that being an entrepreneur or thinking about it and then, or, or knowing that that's how you are and not knowing exactly what you want to do. So you come across these obstacles. So we're going to flash forward back yeah. to you dealing with what's going on in, in the market in the late eighties mm -hmm. and things are crashing. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that experience and how you got through it and worked to the next stages. Well, and that's it. You know, it, it, it was, it was, I didn't have a long time licensed before the market crash. That was the, you know, the big kind of commercial crash. And it was, you know, fortunately because of my retail success, you know, I wasn't, you know, broke. So I had money that allowed me to, you know, a little bit of runway to try to understand the business. But again, back to commercial, back to real estate, it allows you that, Hey, if as long as you can go and do a transaction, the, the transaction commissions, and I, tell people this today, if you're good at any sort of sales, why not go sell real estate? Because the commission that you're going to get 
is significantly higher. It's the same effort that you've got to put in, whether you're selling a software or selling, you know, whatever. Why not go after that big, that bigger commission? So I got that early, you know, you know, couple of transactions and I wasn't worried about money. Again, back to real estate. If you're worried about money, it's a very challenging business because it, it requires a lot of time to build your business or business plan and execute on that plan. But the commercial, again, CBRE was, was very, that was the turning point for me. And, and how long, how long, in, yeah. how long, how long were you there at, at CB? Uh, for five years. Okay. And so again, back to entrepreneurial spirit at the end of the, at the end, you know, just in 2000, Hey, there's this commercial real estate, multiple listing service called LoopNet. I'm sure you've heard of LoopNet. Well, I brought LoopNet to Canada. So I'm here. I am working at CBRE, making a good living. I'm building my career, but it's like, I see this opportunity of this, you know, the internet's exploding and you've got, you know, broadcast.com is selling for $3 billion. I'm like, I want to be in that business. And then it was this idea of like, I do a lot of business for my clients, but I don't get to retain that, you know, IP that you build up with that business because you got to move on to the next client. So you didn't, you know, you're, you're good at the real estate IP, but you would talk to a tech company, say, as an example, dive into their business, understand their business, but you couldn't do anything with that knowledge because you're not in that business. So I said, you know what? I want to go and I want to get in a, the internet. So I said, okay, I identified LoopNet. They were just, did their first round of funding. And Dennis DeAndre, which is the founder, called him up and I said, hey man, you know, even though the internet is, you know, global, it's still local, right? You need to try to figure out that local market. And I brought, he said, great. And so he gave us the ability to bring LoopNet to Canada. And I founded that uh, company with a few partners. And then soon after that, the, mar- the internet crashed and then that forced me <laughs> to make a decision. And it was like, okay, uh, my other two partners in LoopNet, they went back into real estate and I just wasn't ready to get back into that. I just, I really felt cheated almost because it was like this, you know, it was just at the right, I believed it was the right idea. And again, back to LoopNet was a perfect example because look at what they've gone on to do. Um, but I wasn't ready to get back into real estate. So I said, okay, you know what? I had a friend, we were having a coffee and he said, listen, there's this communications business that I'm starting. And I said, well, why don't I help you build your sales team? And that's how I started uh, a company called Threat4. And so we built up uh, that business quite successfully. We were into manufacturing radio communications products for the military, public safety. um, And that was a great business. And then Come 2008, as we know, that market again crashed and it was like, all right, the U.S. government, which was one of our largest customers, essentially stopped buying and the mm-hmm. wars were starting to wind down in you know, Afghanistan and Iraq. And the, the purchasing was like, you know, do we hang in here for another period of time or do we sell? And the choice was, you know what, it, we've done this for a while. I had a business partner at the time. I then wanted to now just completely go and do my own thing where, you know, partners are great, but at some point, you know, you kind of figure you want your own path. And so I sold threat Four, and obviously it wasn't, you know, retirement money. And not to mention, I was still pretty young. I wanted to then do something. 
so that was how I got back into commercial real estate. One of my good buddies was uh, one of the largest teams at uh, Cushman and Wakefield. And uh, when I sold the company, he said, hey, listen, why don't you come over and, you know, do business development for us? You've got a huge network and we know what you can do. And I was ready to get back into commercial real estate. And so that's how I ended up back at uh, Cushman and Wakefield. A, a couple of things that jump out about your experience, uh, or at least jump out to me, is that number one, you have this ability, this drive to say, I want to, I want to do that. Or I think I can do that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then you, you go do it. <laughs> uh, and so so you have the confidence to to take those shots and then it, from from what it sounds like and I'd love to hear you you know expand on this the again the tools that you take and the talents that you develop from going into these different mm-hmm. situations you keep bringing back to your next venture mm-hmm. is there anything specific that going from you know commercial real estate that that you would feel like led you to in the in the threat for that you were like, oh, this is why I felt like I had the confidence to do this. And great question because that's I, I mentor a few people, um, and one of my things that the, the basic of it is, if you have a work ethic, and a lot of people say, listen, you know what? I don't. I'm not an entrepreneur. They say that, and I say, you know what? Let's look at that. You go and you get a job, and you're at the bank or IBM or wherever, and you have this job. But you're required to put a lot of effort in, right? Your boss is telling you what to do. You've got a business plan. You've got to execute. Otherwise, you get let go. So you do put in the time. I say the same thing to people in real estate. If you put the effort in that you would do at any job, you put that full eight hours in or 10 hours or whatever, you will get the same result because the work, it doesn't matter. Who knows whether I'm doing it for myself or doing it for my boss. It's the same effort. The challenge is most people, once they're on their own, they don't know how to manage their time. And so if you put that effort in, you will get the result. For me, it's always been the same thing. I have this safety net of my real estate license. I say this all the time. I've never, ever, ever felt like I was unemployed because you could always just pick up the phone, be at a party and go sell somebody's house, right? Like all yeah. over your life, right? And you can make five grand or 10 grand or whatever, right? So the idea that fear is gone. So I, so again, it gets back to, if I want to get in a, a, another business, it's the work ethic. It's putting a plan in place and then executing. The best analogy that I have for anybody that I mentor is if you want to lose weight, Very simple. Take in less calories, then you burn. Very, very simple. Except there's thousands of books and seminars on how to lose weight. But the reason is because everybody, the toughest part is the execution. Execution. That's a very simple concept, right? And that's really the same idea as it applies to work is that if I just tell you, if you put the eight hours in, you're going to get the result. The tough part is the execution. That's spot on. I, I agree. So, yeah, thank you. I think that's perfect. Going back to now, you're now you're at Cushman Wakefield, right? So, so after after that, so tell me about that transition. 
So that was, uh, you know, I had a, a building um, that was for sale, uh, industrial building, 65,000 square foot building for sale. And uh, sleepy, you know, suburban area. But I looked at the building and I just said, you know, this building is not really a single tenant industrial building because I looked at the location, you know, just real estate 101. It's located close to public transportation, highway access, you name the things that make good real estate. The next thing was, okay, well, then what is it? It's a potential multi-tenanted building. So I actually went to the owners and I said, guys, you should do this. And they said, ah, you know what? It doesn't fit our profile, whatever. So then I said, okay, no problem. And I went to a, a, a really good buddy of mine and I said, look, why don't we buy it? Let's go buy the building and then let's do this plan. And at that point in time, I said, okay, fine. Bought the building in 2016. And at that point it was like, all right, it's time to, uh, to move on from the structured commercial real estate life. And then back into this entrepreneurial path of going now and now, now I'm a, now I'm a landowner or building owner. Now I've, I've said, this is what you should do. Now <laughs> I've got to go do it. And so that's yeah. how Alternative Works started. Well, and so how long were you at Cushman before uh, you started this? Four, uh, four years, just okay. four or five years. Okay. Yeah. And again, successful, you know, I did, you know, we were on a really strong team. Great. You know, did a lot of transactions, but the, the just that whole concept of, Every January, even though you're carrying over business, there's you're not building in in you know even though you're you're building a pipeline, but you feel like you're starting over every January. And I just wanted to have a business that was once you've built that foundation, now you can scale it. How do you go and scale that business? And so that's really you know why I started Alterna Work. And so when you when you were putting that project together. Well, for, uh, you know, congratulations. That that's amazing. Taking that step to to yeah. get past that point. That's fantastic. When you were creating the plan, can you walk us through your thought process and what the the tenant type would be like, how to demise the space, you know, any any of your thought process there? Yeah, and it was again, if you're going to make a multi-tenanted building, we work was just getting going. The whole idea of shared office it's not new, right? You've got Regis and, you know, they've been around forever and WeWork was just getting going. It wasn't what it was as it got later in, in, on in, in time. But when you look at the space and you say to yourself, you know, if I rent out 5,000 square feet and I've only got 5,000 square feet, one tenant leaves, you're 100% vacant. But if we carve that up into small offices and rent those out to smaller companies, you're, there's no real risk of any one tenant taking you down. So I started in the building. I took just a small piece of it. It's like I mentioned, it's 65,000. 10,000 of it was already an office kind of really, really, you know, that type of industrial office type, really crappy space. And then I said, all right, well, if I'm going to offer this to companies, they're going to say, look, I'll take it, but it's I'm going to give you $10 a square foot as an example. So I said, all right, what if we do polish and put polish, polish concrete floors, open it all up, take the ceiling out, expose it, lots of nice light. Who would be my next, who would be attracted to that type of space? And of course that opened up tech companies, creatives, 
where that's the that's the type of collaborative space that they wanted to be in. But you had to do it right. Like you, it wasn't there. We had to have the vision to say if we build this space because of the other real estate fundamentals of location and public transport, and we just offer that really nice space, will they come? We leased out the 5,000 square feet almost immediately to, to the tenants. Then it was like, okay, we've got something here. So then it was, we had another 20,000 that we had to basically take industrial space and make into AAA offices. You know, again, you've seen some of those images on our website and stuff. But it yeah. was that same concept. And again, back to the execution of it, nothing changed. Just because I had 20,000 feet now didn't make it any different. It was the same idea. Give really, really good space, collaborative space, target that type of tenant, and they will come. And they did. So that was kind of the, the you know, alternative work was, I don't want to say, it, it was a success. But it was again, it was a success because we followed a very, very specific uh, roadmap. I never veered from my plan. And, you know, if I look at the original plan from 2016, we executed on every, every piece of it. Wow. Wow. Have, have you, have you replicated it or duplicate? Are you, are you doing anything else that's um, similar? It's, it's actually, it's interesting. It's actually, it's actually evolved now because the pandemic comes and you know everybody goes home. We didn't lose any tenants actually, just because of the type of tenant mix we had. Even though they were all working from home, back to real estate one hundred and one, we had leases in place. And so, whereas we work as an example, they had in their agreement that on thirty days' notice you could leave, and they did. But everybody thought, okay, I'm going to leave. I love the idea of remote work, but at the you know I'll come back when this pandemic. Who knew it was going to be three years? But in our case, because we, again, never veered from that plan, we had leases in place. So our tech companies that we had in there were thriving through the pandemic. As you know, there were some companies that did really, really well. Unfortunately for some, and I, you know, again, not to say that, hey, we're gloating or anything, but there were some that had hard times, but a lot of companies thrive. And so we kept it where it's like, look, if you're doing well and you have a lease, you've got to honor that commitment. And so they did. We had some some large tech companies. And then the other ones that smaller companies that needed help, we we helped them through the process and deferred rents and whatever. So we didn't actually lose any tenants throughout. But what we found is that we had all this extra warehouse space. And then through the pandemic, you saw a a huge increase of e-commerce companies that were starting to do, you know, like a Shopify e-commerce type space. So we said, all right. Why don't we marry the two? Why don't we say we've got really nice office space. You're going to have a few desks, but then we're also going to give you a little bit of warehouse space. And so we, we combined the two and throughout the pandemic, that just, that was a differentiator that right away, that changed everything for us because some operators in the, in the shared office space struggled and some continue to struggle. Um, the warehouse spaces, maybe you know, maybe you don't, but our market here, there's almost a 0% vacancy rate on industrial space. So you couldn't find space to just even warehouse. So what yeah. we did is we said, listen, we have space. I'm not. I'm only going to give it away or lease it if you take a desk and vice versa, right? You take a desk, you, you get to take some things. So it was a combo of the two. And that concept is what we're rolling with now. So we're actually... 
having a new brand that we're coming out with, and it's called Alterna Store. So Alterna S-T-O-R. And again, it's larger logistics buildings that are going to offer the same service. A little bit of office, a little bit of warehouse. Okay, that's fantastic. Is that breaking news? I didn't hear about that. It is actually breaking news. You heard it here first. (laughs) You know what? It is. Again, the, the challenge for this, anybody in this, is getting good real estate. So yeah. back to the philosophy, I don't do anything unless we actually own the real estate. So mm. to do these transactions, it's a huge capex to build out the space. If you look at WeWork, WeWork was not a bad business. The business actually is very strong. The problem is, is you had to spend all the money to build it and then wait to get the money back monthly. Well, when mm. SoftBank turned off the, the tap on the uh, money for WeWork, that stopped everything. The business still made sense, right? People still wanted even more so through after the pandemic, people are looking at remote work as, as the way to go. But at the end of the day, when you, they didn't have any money. And so we don't want to make that mistake. So we're anytime we invest, we invest where we own the real estate. So I don't mind putting the money in because I'm building equity in my own asset. That, that makes a lot of sense. And also when you go back to the real estate 101 principles, you see that shining through because again, location, location, location. Yes. And what's good for retail is good for last mile distribution because you still need to be near the main arteries and where people are. So it makes sense. And that blurring of the lines, I feel like in the office, industrial retail, you know, those things all can balance each other out. And especially if you have them, Mixed together. That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's good. Well, I'm glad we got some breaking news here too. That's pretty <laughs> cool. It is good. So I, I also want to talk about what you built with uh with G Block. Mm-hmm. Uh can you can you talk to our listeners about that and you know, how yeah. that how that kicked off and well, it started with, you know, George Floyd murders. Everybody came out, you know, at corporate Canada, corporate America, corporate world came out and said, hey, we have to do something, which was amazing for us because that has never happened before. That's what I think people of color realized is that this isn't like any other time before. Um, you know, it took George, George Floyd's murder to to kind of highlight it where my daughter was coming home and saying, this is, a you know, horrible. And that's never been the case before. And so when that happened, CBRE uh, said, hey, Let's do a diversity council. And so they started, um, uh, you know, with the mandate of, of um, getting more people of color into commercial real estate. And so I was at Alterna Work and, and uh, uh, Werner Dietl, who was the president at the time, said, hey, we'd love to have you come on to the council uh, as the only non-CB um, uh, member. And so... They needed an outside perspective that I thought, okay, well, obviously I fit the profile. I was in commercial real estate since the you know early '90s, and you know, as that experience, I can now hopefully give some insight into how do we how do we change that. You know, throughout my career, you know, I've not only been the only person of color uh, agent, but you're also the even the clients. You weren't again different experience maybe in the U.S. Than Canada, but I, I suspect it's pretty much the same. But 
that was the case. And so I had that experience of going in and having to deal with, you know, president CEOs in the boardroom that there's nobody in the room that looks like me. And so when they asked me to sit on that council, I thought this is an amazing opportunity to give back. And so when I started that, uh, started on the diversity council, at the same time, I started my LinkedIn group and the original uh, name, well, still the same name, but we've just shortened it. It's uh, Global Business Leaders of Color. And I thought, well, what can I do to give back? And it was this, I've got a huge network on LinkedIn. You know, I've got 30,000 plus, you know, connections and C-suite all around the world, actually. Very, very, uh, you know, strong network. And so I thought, you know what? What I found challenging when I was starting out is how do I get into that C-suite? And it's not necessarily that they don't want you at the table. It's just that unless you're in that network, in that, that how do you get to make those relationships so that you're actually sitting at the table? It's one thing to pick up the phone and cold call somebody. That's Anybody can do that. And there's some very, very successful people. But the reality is all this business is around relationships. And so by starting G block, it was like, all right, I'm just getting anybody who asks me for access. I'm going to just give it to them. I will hmm. just introduce you to anybody in my network. You ask me, that was the sort of the basis of G block. And it was started off where it was like, yeah, we've got a few hundred people. And I think, you know, Dustin, I think you started early on. I think I found your your group and I think I joined your group and then there was some some cross-pollination there with members but it was like all right then I get to about you know 2 or 300 members and it's like oh this is actually turning into something so now what what do I do with this so at about 6 700 members I brought a, a good buddy of mine uh Eldon Maskell who his background is uh is um uh, media and we thought, okay, why don't we do like a newsletter? Mm. And we start, you know, maybe, you know, we get more members. We're up to around a thousand members. And it's like, we need to look at this. Why is it mm. that we're saying global business leaders? Have maybe we should just open up this to more than just people of color. Not because we wanted, we were afraid of only having that. But if we're going to start to figure out a path forward, you need multiple diverse opinions sitting around the table to come up with some solutions. And so that was my input that I could give to CB and that uh, diversity council. I was able to say, listen, I'm speaking to people around the world and here are some of the things that they're saying. And I was able to give that, that kind of outside perspective. Cause I think once you're all sitting around the same table from the same group, you tend not to get, anything, you know, sort of innovative out of it. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. And in, you know, us connecting early on and, mm -hmm. you know, we've been on similar, but, you know, I wouldn't say parallel tracks, but mm -hmm. I, I see everything that you're working on and what you're doing and, you know, what, what you started building was really inspiring for me. And then also like the way, the way you were approaching handling everything was it, it's been really impressive so thank you for for everything that you're that you're doing and that's one of the reasons why i like having these conversations because i want other people that may be not familiar with to hear more about your story because sometimes you just see 
you and what you're doing and people are like, Oh, that's, that's something else, but you're, but you have real experiences and you have real, um, you have a lot to, a lot to provide and a lot to give. And, and, and it's really inspiring to, once you hear your backstory and, and how you, how you, you carved your path. I appreciate that. But I'll tell you, you are an inspiration to me because I looked at your group, what you had built with your black commercial real estate network. And that's what inspired me. So I saw your group and I saw the membership and I, I thought, you know what, this, this can be done. And it was, it was actually you that inspired me to, to start to really move G block and start moving the needle because it, it takes effort to build a, a yeah. group, right? As yeah. you know. It sure does. And, and you know, what? I've, one thing that I'm, that I'm learning and hopefully this is something, and thank you for saying that. I, I didn't, I didn't realize that. That's pretty cool. No, actually. That's true. Um, but one, one of the things that there are organizations that are doing similar, but different things. And I feel like, we're all going the same direction. So yeah. it's important for us to amplify each other's voice and support each other in any way that we can. Uh, you know, I know in different conversation I had, we talked about, you know, a rep and, and Reese and project reap and project destined, yeah. you know, there, there's, there's a lot of great organizations doing wonderful things. And then also you see the initiatives, you know, that you mentioned with, with CBRE and, you know, BOMA has a diversity initiative. So it's like, how do we bring people together and all come up with creative solutions to help push everything forward? So this is a it's an interesting time. To, my, my, my battery was dying. Oh, okay. Computer. Sorry, man. I just got to quickly get my battery going. I hate to, I didn't want it to just shut off because then it would be a lot worse to try to get. No, no, no problem. Stuff. No, Sorry. but, but the thing, this, this whole, this whole time, like there are some serious challenges in the world, but, it, it does take a lot of people to sit at the table to come up with creative solutions to help everybody move forward. Right. And I think that, you know, you're, you, what I noticed out of the whole process is that this is really, really, really hard. It's not something that, sorry, I'm just going to plug this in. It's not something that you can just throw money at. Right. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I apologize for that. It's not something that you can just throw money at. It's a, it's it's such a huge undertaking that is going to require time, right? Sure. The yeah. amount of time that we have to go. If you want to get people into commercial real estate of color, you need to start. They need to be exposed to it in grade school. Mm. It's not something right now because it's not even on their radar when they start thinking about careers. And so that's, I think, a big challenge. So this, my son is an example. Goes to university, first year university. He's been exposed to real estate his entire life. He wants to do commercial real estate. Wow. He, he want, and he wants to do it, and, and he's going to take advantage of my experience, my network, whatever, but it's, it's he sees the, you know, instead of saying, hey, I want to be a lawyer, He's been exposed to it. He's, he sees my network. He sees our friends. He sees our family who are all around. It, and he's like, I want to do that. And so he's first year university. He goes to Dalhousie University here in Canada. And that's how it starts, right? It, it starts at that young age and then getting them in. And then they realize they've got a network that now they can start to have different, you know, people that met, you know, whether it's women, whatever, they all now start to gravitate towards the same industry. 
Yeah, it's it's exposure. It's exposure. And, and and having people exposed to influences, I, I want to say positive influence, but just being aware of that it even exists. And you know, I I refer to it as seeing behind the curtain. Once I got into commercial real estate and realizing how many opportunities were on that side, not just on the brokerage or management, right? But all the vendors, the services, tax, title insurance, you know, you name it, uh, sprinkler system, you know, it, yes. the commercial real estate is, is its own, its own world. Well, how do you take it now? And what is it, what's the next phase of it? And so this is what I'm saying to my son is that, okay, listen, it's commercial real estate, but you're not going to go out and cold call, right? Like this mm. isn't, you need to come up with a different strategy, whether it's utilizing, and I know you've got uh, that AI um, platform that I think you, mm-hmm. that you work with. I think it's brilliant. I think it's, it's that mentality now is the next group is now, I, I'm no longer going to go and pick up the phone and call. I'm no longer going to go knock doors. That's what we had to do before LinkedIn existed. So you had to physically go knock on the door. Now, why am I going to go knock on the door? I'm going to go and I'm going to do, you know, social selling. I'm going to build relationships virtually. Still have to meet in person. It's it's a combination of the, of the two. But then the next step is now what? How do we utilize? Are, are you afraid of AI? Are you afraid of new technology? That's generally the 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 feeling right now is I'm scared. Well, I'm looking at it and saying, well, that's an opportunity. That's where you can go and take commercial real estate. The physical world is not going anywhere. At the end of the day. When you ask ChatGPT a question, it's only giving you the answer. You still now need to take that answer. You got the answer quicker, but you need to take that answer and go execute. You need to go do something with it, right? Just because you said, hey, go build me a, you know, a, a deck, a pitch, investor pitch, and it comes out in five minutes versus it taking three months, at the end of the day, you still got to go take that physical and go get that execute, right? You yeah, go execution. Execute right? So it's how do we look at today's technology and apply it to that sector, which is commercial real estate. That's what I know. But it's taking advantage of some of the tools that are out there today that you don't have. You know, again, there's also this idea, this badge of honor that, you know, a lot of the people that have been in commercial real estate for a while, you got to pay your dues, be in there, you know, cold hammer the phone. Well, what are you hammering the phone for when I could go to LinkedIn I can go, right? And there it is. That's, you know, you got to build relationships in the virtual world versus, and it's even easier now because of access to, to tools that are that are available. Absolutely. And, and you know, I talk, you, 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 you talked about the fear of AI and, and, you know, warranted. I mean, it's, it's, it's unknown. Um, there's a lot of things to be cautious of, mm-hmm. but I would say that knowledge generally eases fear Yes. Um, in a lot of different aspects in life. And the more you investigate, not, not only AI, but emerging technologies yeah. or anything that's, that's foreign to somebody or, you know, it's learning and, and asking questions mm-hmm. and, well, how does this work and how can this be better? And that's one of the things that it seems like from taking from, from our conversation today you have a curiosity, I would say, of, of like, oh, I want to try that. Like, that looks like I want to, I want to do that. And I, 
and you, you mentioned like what I'm doing with the emerging technologies and the AI and sustainability. I'm looking at all of these things and like, well, these, these are the challenges. These are the, the issues. Mm-hmm. These are the obstacles and these are the, the tools that are available. How do we put this all together and mm-hmm. figure this out in a way that benefits the client, benefits the environment, benefits the, you know, every, everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's where the opportunity lies. And that's where I'm, that's where I'm putting my chips. I, I think you're, you're, you're on the right track. That is exactly. And again, back to the, what, what's a differentiator here? That is a huge differentiator. When you sit in the boardroom and you're pitching whatever, you're not just solely focused on, you know, the cap rate or the, whatever the lease it's because it's a bigger, it's a bigger picture now, whether it's diversity, you mentioned sustainability, you know, all of these things are now like, Hey, because of, you know, social media, whereas you never had to maybe mention it before. Now it's right out there for everybody to see. So if you want to know about Richard Myers, just go to my LinkedIn profile and you'll see what I talk about. You'll see who I'm connected to. You'll see what, you know, my passions are because I'm publicly saying that stuff. So when I'm now trying to do business, you know, I've got a young daughter. So I'm very, very supportive of, you know, women and women's, the advancement of, of, you know, women in the workforce. You know, I've got a 14-year-old daughter that that's going to now be an important thing. So I champion a lot of women's causes because, not because it's the, you know, it's because I know that my daughter, I'm trying to help you know, the path a little bit in my humble way, but it's all kind of boils down to the network and then telling that network, what do you really believe in? Right. Mm. If I believe in something and I just say it in the boardroom, okay, maybe before you could get away with that, can't get away with that now because I know that then that meeting ends, I'm going to immediately go and look at you on social. And if you're not talking about sustainability or DEI or women or whatever, then I'm going to say, you know what? You're not authentic. And people today, if you want to be successful going forward, it's about being authentic. You've got to have, that's it. And it's more than just one thing. It's multiple layers. People want deeper connections. If you look at LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn is an amazing platform. It's got 900 million people on it, business people on it. The challenge is, is that that 900 million people they're really just judged on the number of connections that you have. Hey, I've got 30,000 connections. Oh, you must be an important person. That doesn't tell you anything about me. If you take G block with what we're going to be doing with G block, we're going to flip, essentially flip the resume. I want to know the bottom of your resume versus what it, the way it is right now. You come out and you tell me your skills. I worked at such and such a company for so long, da, 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 da. The bottom part to me is the most important part. Tell me about your passions. Tell me about your skills. Because assume when you're going into a for a job, everybody that comes in there has the same education, has the same work experience. Now I want to know who Dustin Sutton really, if he if we are in alignment in our beliefs. And that's the bottom part of your resume. So if you flip it and get that up there, then I think that we can start to make some deeper relationships. So that's kind of the direction of G block is that we have 3000 plus members, but I'm going to, we're going to start, you know, when we launch our G block platform, it's going to be about learning more about what aligns us 
around the world, mm. not just, hey, we're all doing one specific, um, you know, uh, profession or whatever, but how do we get deeper? Because the deeper relationships are what allow people to trust. You know, if just on that, just to wrap that up is that, you know, there's been billions of dollars thrown at diversity. You have, I think it was 50 billion was the last time I heard about that number. And then you looked at what was actually, you know, deployed and it was something around a billion. And you ask yourself, what's the disconnect? You have all this money that's there, but you have, that's not being deployed. And again, what my thought is, is that it's because there's a trust factor in between. I'm not just going to do business with somebody unless I know them. I can't just know you by looking at your profile on LinkedIn. I need to know more about you. And I think once we start to know each other on a deeper level, that money will just flow. Because now the trust is now, it's now there's no longer this distrust. It now says, okay, let's go, let's do something together. Because that alignment is true. I love that. I, I love that. And the whole concept of flipping the the resume upside down. Yeah. That's that's impactful. Yes. I, I believe it. Well, thank you so much for, for your time. I want to be mindful of your time. I know we're coming up here. So I wanted to ask, because you mentioned a couple of the initiatives that, you, that you're working towards and what your, the projects that you're working on. And I'm going to, I will include any, uh, all your, your social and your website. I'll include all that in the show notes here, but just to wrap things up, is there anything that you want to share with the, with the audience uh, about how things that you're looking for, anything that you're need to help with, or just anything that you want to share? And well, I think, you know, again, I just kind of touched on it there about the deeper relationships that, you know, anybody that's interested in G block, it's going to be, we're looking for members that are around the world that are in alignment with that belief. I'm, we're not, I, we've got 3,000 plus members. It's not a numbers game. I'm not trying to get to 20,000. I want, I'd rather have lesser aligned members because we're ready to start doing something. We've got, an, I've got enough members around the world that once we have a group that is aligned, we will be able to make some really, really big moves. And so anybody, you know, again, that listens to your show, if they want to come and request to join on LinkedIn, that's the place to do it because we'll launch our platform shortly. But the idea here is, is it's that alignment. It's about wanting a deeper connection in order to actually do something. Talk for me. I'm, you know, you asked me earlier about, you know, execute. It's about execution. A lot of people talk. We've heard a lot of talk for three years. Dustin, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I was so happy when all of this initiative was started. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, um, how do I put it? Uh, disappointed in where we are three years later. And what's disappointing me even more is that the conversation is now shifting and it's diluting what the original message was really about. And that's, what's concerning me is that there's this idea of, you know, diversity fatigue. I hate using that term. Somebody had mm. mentioned it, said that to me before. And I thought, man, that's, that's heavy because this, we're just getting started on this diversity issue. And if already our corporate, corporate, you know, North America or corporate world has got fatigue, they don't want to hear about it. That's a, that's a problem. 
right? And so that's where I'm concerned right now. And I'm going to do what I can through G-Block to help move the needle. And and I think I think you are. And one of the, one of the things that that I see in what you're doing, and I think we're aligned on, on this, is that we don't wait around for other people to execute. Right. Yes. You know, it, there, there's a lot of hey, is it, do you guys want to come along? Do you want to do this? Yes. And people say yeah, yeah, and then often, t- well, it's not uncommon that people right. say they will and then they don't. But you know what? We do it anyway. Exactly. We move forward. Yeah. And and it takes that type of effort and initiative to keep the momentum going. So I commend you with everything that you've done, not just with G Block, but you know, in your career and in the community and with your family. Um, it, it was great to spend this time with you and get to know you on a on right. a deeper level. And yeah, I, and I hope the the audience gets a lot of benefit out of this. I really appreciate you having me on. Keep up the good work. Like I said, you've been an inspiration to to me as well. And so oh, hopefully thank you one so day much. we could actually meet in person. <laughs> oh, we will. We'll we make will. it happen. Awesome, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Tools, Talents, and Techniques podcast. We hope you found the conversation insightful and engaging. And if you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your network. By subscribing, you'll never miss an episode as we continue to bring you inspiring discussions with industry leaders and pioneers. Stay connected to the latest insights, trends, and strategies across various fields from business and entrepreneurship to technology and innovation. Your support is vital in helping us reach more listeners and expand our community. So don't forget to leave a review and share your feedback. We appreciate your input and are committed to delivering valuable content that empowers and inspires. To stay updated on future episodes, be sure to follow us on either LinkedIn or our website, suttonrea.com. You can also find us on most podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Thank you for being part of the Tools, Talents, and Techniques community. We look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations and valuable insights in the future. Until then, keep exploring, learning, and applying these tools, talents, and techniques to achieve your own success.